0: Welcome to Monmouth Community Christian Church. It's wonderful to gather today with you as we worship our Lord in this place. This is what we are created for. And it's as we do this that we find the meaning and purpose of our lives. Well, I have a very embarrassing food allergy that I'd like to tell you about today. This allergy is so rare that I Googled it and nothing came up, not a single result on a Google search. And if that happens to you with your allergy, you know that you're the only person in the world, I'm, I, I might be the only person on earth who has this specific food allergy. And not only that, but this is so tragic because it's an allergy to a fruit that I absolutely love, it's delicious, and I, I would really enjoy to eat this fruit all the time. Well, what is this food allergy? I'm allergic to dragon eye fruit, longian. Isn't that tragic? Yeah, it's really good. And so what happens is about 30 minutes after I eat Lungian, my stomach begins to feel a little bit uncomfortable, then more uncomfortable, and then more and more uncomfortable until the moment comes, I apologize for being this graphic, until the moment comes that I vomit uncontrollably. I'm not kidding, this is what happens to me when I eat long gian. The fruit looks good, it, it tastes great, but there's something about it that's incompatible with my stomach and I throw it up. In our passage for today, we're gonna to see that Jesus has a similar allergic reaction to believers who probably look fine on the surface but who in the interior of their hearts and lives lack a passion, lack deep commitment, the the commitment that God requires. And what will happen to these believers, according to the, the literal Greek of this passage, is that Jesus will vomit them out. Today we're turning to the last church that Jesus speaks to in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea. Out of the seven churches that Jesus addresses at the beginning of Revelation, this is the only church to whom Jesus has nothing positive to say. There there is no redeeming quality. There is no praiseworthy aspect of this church. It's a church in danger of being rejected by Jesus Christ because of its spiritual condition. So let's hear the first part of Jesus' words to this church today. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am, I'm sorry. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. It is sometimes the case that those who are in the greatest danger are also in the deepest denial about their situation and exhibit the deepest complacency. This seems to be the case in regard to the believers in Laodicea. They seem to be living unaware of the actual danger that they are in of being rejected by Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at what may have caused this situation in their lives and how we also might fall into this same dangerous spiritual condition. Let's begin by looking at the city of Laodicea and the circumstances that may have been influencing the believers there. At this time, there were at least six cities in the Mediterranean world, Laodicea. But the specific city that Jesus is addressing here in this passage is located on the Lycus River. And it was on the most important highway in the empire running from Ephesus in the west all the way across modern-day Turkey to Syria in the east. This was a city that was so enmeshed in in commerce along this trade route, a city that had such deep connections to the places that participated in the trade along this route that it named its western gate the Ephesian gate, and it named its its, um, eastern gate the Syrian gate. And so by this, on a daily basis, the citizens of Laodicea were reminded of their deep trade ties and and their connections, not only to Ephesus and Syria, but also to every city along the way, along this most important trade route through, through Turkey. And then a second lesser trade route also ran through Laodicea from a different direction, making it this bustling intersection of trade and travel. And as you can imagine, this prime real estate along one of the most important highways of the entire empire for moving goods and people gave Laodicea tremendous opportunity for amassing vast amounts of wealth. And this opportunity was fully realized when the Roman Empire moved in, established dominance in the region, bringing with it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which provided stability, which allowed this long distance trade, and which made Laodicea flourish in in massive ways. At this time, it was one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Sometimes though, those who are wealthy feel so secure, so safe because of their wealth, imagine that their true condition may actually be insecurity. To the believers in this wealthiest of cities, believers who may very well have been feeling safe and secure because of the wealth they had accumulated, Jesus says your actual condition is really insecure. Your true standing in the eyes of God is actually precarious and vulnerable and unstable. The sense of security and safety that you're drawing from your wealth is actually false. It's actually empty. And so Jesus calls them to open their eyes to see their true spiritual condition and to turn to Him in repentance. Before Jesus uncovers and diagnoses their dangerous spiritual condition, though, he first establishes his own credentials for doing so. The reasons why he's able to to tell them these things, the, the reasons why he's able to reveal what's really going on in their lives, he tells them of his right to pass judgment against them. He tells them this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I was thrilled today to see that this is the verse for today in BibleGateway.com. Here Jesus refers to himself as the Amen. Now this may sound strange to us because we most commonly hear the word Amen at the end of a prayer. Saying amen, the reason why we use this word amen at the end of a prayer is that amen uh, was often used uh, in Hebrew to be put at the end of a solemn statement to guarantee its truth. This Christ is faithful and true, and he will never ever violate his faithfulness or his truth. Now, Think about this for a moment. Why would Jesus in this passage emphasize the accuracy of what he's about to speak to this church in Laodicea in these three ways by saying he's the amen, he's the faithful witness, he's the true witness. I think he's establishing his credentials as the one who is utterly reliable, whose words can be dependent upon in spite of contrary evidence we may think we observe. Like a skillful and trustworthy doctor, Jesus is about to diagnose the dire spiritual condition of the Laodiceans. But like a doctor who must tell a patient who looks good and who feels healthy that they actually have a deadly disease, Jesus first explains that he only speaks words that are completely reliable, that are utterly accurate. And that therefore, the warning that he's about to give them is something that they better take very, very seriously. And so like the medical doctor who hangs their degrees on the wall of their office, right? To remind the patients to take their advice seriously. Jesus is reminding the believers and us that he sees accurately, that he knows what he's talking about, and that they had better hear and respond. They would better make changes to their lives based upon the diagnosis that he's about to give them. Now, the last thing that Jesus says about himself before he begins to speak about the Laodiceans and diagnose them is that he's the ruler of God's creation. This is a subtle and important point. There was a false teaching throughout the Roman Empire at this time called Gnosticism that argued that a being inferior to God called the Demiurge had created the material world and physical reality. Therefore, if you wanna blame somebody for the mess of this world, blame this being, blame the Demiurge. Don't blame God, don't blame humans Blame the demiurge who created physical matter and for this reason is responsible for the problems of life in a physical world. This is a way of shifting blame, shifting blame for the problems of the world away from ourselves to this imaginary demiurge, but this is not the teaching of the Bible at all. The Bible clearly teaches that God created all that exists. God created all reality, including the material, physical universe. So if you're wondering why our world is broken, if you're wondering who to blame for our distress, the reason is not because the physical world was created by a demiurge. God created all that exists. It's us. It is we as humans who have broken our world, who have, have marred and damaged human life as we know it. God created all things to be good. We messed it up. and the, We messed it up by turning from God. And the Bible calls this turning away from God sin. And so when Jesus reminds the Laodiceans of God's creation in our passage for today, he's reminding them that the original creation was good. It was created by God. He's reminding them that the responsibility for the brokenness of creation, it comes from ourselves, our own sinfulness alone. We have broken creation. Therefore the brokenness that Jesus is about to reveal in in their lives, the, the, the condition of sin he's about to diagnose as a doctor of our souls is something we are responsible for. It's caused by our own sin. We can't shift the blame. We can't escape the diagnosis. Yet in spite of their sinful brokenness, Jesus also declares that he is the ruler over God's creation. You see, Jesus sees with complete and comprehensive accuracy, not only the most distant galaxy and star system, but also the deepest intricacy of our hearts and minds and of our struggles and of our our thoughts and of our motives. And Jesus is able to diagnose any spiritual brokenness, bring it into the light and call us as broken people heading toward death to turn, to repent, to receive the life that only he can provide. And so Jesus diagnoses their condition. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Think about this in terms of coffee, all right? Hot coffee tastes great, cold coffee tastes fine, but lukewarm coffee can be absolutely disgusting especially like when it's been sitting there for a couple days. Disgusting. Jesus is telling the believers in Laodicea that this is what they are like. They are like coffee that would have been delicious when hot and would have even tasted fine when cold, but that tastes awful when lukewarm and forgotten on the shelf for two, three days. In the Greek, Jesus literally says he's about to vomit them out of his mouth. This is a shocking image. Their spiritual condition of being neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, it it literally turns Jesus' stomach. It makes Jesus feel sick. And Jesus wants to vomit them out. These Laodicean believers who seem to feel so secure, so safe, so stable, likely because of their earthly wealth. They are actually in a very insecure position. They're in danger of being rejected by Jesus Christ. So what are these three conditions that Jesus describes? Being hot, being cold, being lukewarm. And how do we apply this to our lives? How do we see where we are at today? In the Greek, the word used here for hot means hot to the boiling point. And scripture repeatedly uses imagery of of fire and warmth to describe God's holy majesty. For example, in Hebrews 12, we read, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy. Scripture uses similar imagery to describe spiritual health, such as in Romans, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Because of passages like these, it has become very common for us to describe someone who's deeply passionate about their commitment to Jesus Christ as being a person who's on fire for God. This fire, it's like this sincerity and authenticity in their relationship with God that can be felt when you're around them. It's like this person gives off spiritual encouragement and inspiration through the presence of God that's overflowing from them. God desires to infuse our lives with his fire, with his zeal, with his passion. The Greek word used here that we translate as cold can mean cold to the point of freezing. If we're not going to have a relationship with God that's on fire, that's in zeal and passion for God, then God would rather have us be cold to the point of freezing. Now, this isn't a good spiritual condition, but it's honest this is someone who lives in opposition to Jesus Christ and who knows it. What's good about this type of person is that there can often be a level of honesty, a level of integrity in which they admit the rejection of Christ and his teaching. There are arguments and reasons for their rejection. In our passage for today, Jesus is saying that he'd rather have somebody be cold and live in opposition opposition to him and know it then be lukewarm and halfway between hot and cold and not know the danger that you are in. Now, Now why would Jesus say this so that he prefers someone who's cold rather than lukewarm? Isn't lukewarm closer to hot than cold is? I think that perhaps Jesus says this because this ice cold person is somebody that Jesus enjoys working with. This is somebody who's living in confrontation with Jesus Christ, and when a, a person lives in confrontation with Jesus Christ, I think Jesus enjoys breaking into their lives in dramatic ways. You know, think about Saul, who later became the apostle. He was ice cold, and we read this, we read, but Saul began to destroy the church. You can't get much worse than this. He's school. He's, he's living in direct confrontation with Jesus Christ. He began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And you know later, after Jesus dramatically confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, blinds him and reveals to him the error of his ways, Paul... Would look back and on, on who he used to be. And he has words to describe his ice cold life. And he, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. And Paul knew from experience the type of thing that Jesus enjoys, somebody who's ice cold, totally ice cold, totally opposed to the things of God. And Paul says this, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. I can, I can just hear the, his tone of voice, he can barely believe this has happened, why? of the next verse even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are not in me, that are in Christ Jesus, that he pours out on ice-cold hearts. I think that Jesus enjoys confronting and calling ice-cold people into faith because doing so displays the abundance of his incredible mercy, his unbelievable grace. When I ministered in the inner city of Minneapolis, I had friends like this. And I remember one in particular, one close friend, ardent atheist, close friend. We'd stay up late into the night, coffee shop in my neighborhood, talking over strong coffee about God and life and ultimate meaning. And I knew that my honest, authentic, ice-cold friend had a heart that was just so ready so ready to be confronted and transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. The spiritual condition though that Jesus cannot stand is that of being lukewarm. Across the Lycus River from Laodicea was the city of Hierapolis that drew visitors because of its mineral springs. Drinking untreated, unboiled mineral water, though, can make you sick and vomit. So the Laodiceans would have been familiar with the dangers of ingesting something that makes you sick to the point of throwing up. So what is it about the spiritual condition of the believers in Laodicea that makes Jesus want to vomit them out like bad water, like lukewarm, stale, three-day-old coffee? The word translated as lukewarm can also mean tepid. If you're at a performance of some kind and at the end there's a tepid applause, it means that there's only a few people clapping and and their applause lacks enthusiasm. To be spiritually lukewarm or tepid means you lack enthusiasm in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't reject him like the young Saul or others like my friend, who are ice cold. At the same time, you're not on fire for God. You haven't embraced Jesus Christ with the depth of love and commitment that would lead to zeal and passion in your relationship with him. It's almost like you've been inoculated against zeal for Jesus Christ. You've experienced a little bit of God's power in your life, but that's enough for you. You're not going to turn your entire life over to Jesus Christ. You're only going to dabble in Christianity a little bit. You're just trying to draw superficial encouragement or inspiring stories to cheer you up. But you're not interested in radical surrender to Jesus Christ. You're not ready for deep life transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Put in starkest terms, you're not a serious follower of Jesus Christ. You're just somebody who knows some things about God and then compartmentalizes God into a limited space in your life. And you may even be proud of your wisdom, of of how you figured this out, how you can keep spirituality within specific boundaries, a specific compartment. And you're really glad that you're not like those fanatics that you see who seem to have given everything they are to Jesus Christ. In my ministry, I would so much rather encounter somebody who's anti-Christian, who's willing to communicate and dialogue with me and share their reasons for rejecting Christianity and and then talk about it with me than I would somebody who thinks that they know everything about the Bible already. Maybe they, they even grew up in church, but then they just simply walk away. Why? Because they just don't really care. It's as though they've learned enough about Jesus to think that they know all that they need to know and yet they're not allowing Jesus Christ to take a hold of their lives and set them on fire for God. You may have heard the truth saying that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference, where you don't care enough to love or to hate, where you're just somebody who's lukewarm. That's the opposite The scary thing about Jesus' words to the believers in Laodicea is that their lukewarmness is something that tempts each of us and and could possibly draw each of us also. I think there are many people who once spent time in a church but then leave and allow their relationship with Jesus to move from vitality and zeal and living power into the coolness of lukewarmness. They allow their passion and their enthusiasm to fade. And I think this is an especially strong danger at this point in our pandemic. As many have gotten used to just staying home, They've gotten used to the spiritual lukewarmness. The the water feels good in the pool when it's lukewarm. Some of us here today may have experienced this at one time, and some of us here today may be experiencing this right now. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not the love of some, the love of most. Believers in Jesus Christ will shift from being on fire for their Lord, for being zealous and enthusiastic and passionate, and it will cool into lukewarmness, into figuring out how to live comfortably in this broken world. It'll cool into lukewarmness, bad coffee, a relationship with Jesus that has no zeal, no passion for God, because we're not opening our lives in surrender to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We're keeping Jesus in a corner of our lives. We're compartmentalizing our faith. We're not willing to turn complete control over our entire lives to him. So what do we do this morning if we realize that we're really Laodiceans at heart? What do we do if we realize that we too are lukewarm, tepid, unenthusiastic in our relationship with Jesus Christ? First, I believe that this realization alone is an indication of God's grace being extended to you, being poured out upon you, that you can recognize that you are lukewarm is itself the fact that that God is calling out to you. God is inviting you into a living, dynamic, vibrant relationship with himself. The next step then is for you to seek Jesus Christ with everything you've got. Seek Jesus as though your life depends upon it. Spend time crying out to him in prayer. Spend time opening your life to his truth by reading scripture. Let the believers in your life know, hey, I'm in trouble. I need revival in my heart. Pray for me. Pray that that God will blow on my life through the winds of the Holy Spirit and set me on fire again. In Jeremiah, God gives us a promise. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Seek Jesus with all your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to enable you to seek Him with all your heart and you will find Him. And He will light your life on fire like never before. Today, whatever our spiritual condition let's together commit to seek our lord jesus christ let's cry out to him for the zeal we need asking him to revive our hearts and to set our lives on fire with passion for god let's pray lord jesus it's likely that here among us this morning there are some that in the privacy of their own hearts, are admitting, I'm a Laodicean. I remember being on fire for you, but this morning I'm lukewarm. I've been lulled into this coolness. Lord God, have mercy. I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us with fresh fire, fresh power from on high, that you would awaken us That we would know what it means to follow you with the zeal to the point of boiling that you describe in Revelation. That our lives, that we would radically surrender our lives to you and experience the joy and power of you taking everything we are and using us for your glory. Be at work among us, I pray. In your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen.